Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego, California. Each week we provide spiritual leadership to our growing community, as well as bringing positive change into people's lives. If this message speaks to your heart, please consider helping to support our dedication by making a one-time or recurring donation now. When we recognize what we are called to do and be, we will find it very easy to catch hold of the vision, the form that that call is meant to take in our life experience. So we've been exploring together some of the prose and poetry of the 13th century Sufi mystic Rumi. Rumi was a poet, he was a scholar. You may or may not be aware that Sufism is a mystical arm of Islam and it's rich in mysticism. It's rich in inspiration. Rumi is considered to be one of the favorite poets around the world and seems to be much more popular today than even a decade or so ago. And so I wanted to share some of the ideas in some of Rumi's writings with you that I think speak to this idea of answering the call. When I'm talking about answering the call, what I'm referring to is the call of our inner spirit, the call of our soul, the call of our soul. It is not a call we should send a voicemail. It's a call we should really pick up. And I believe that if we don't pick the call up, it just keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. It may get a little bit softer the more we ignore it, but it has a way of always coming back, always kind of nagging us in the background of our lives or in the deepest part of our lives when we kind of get away maybe, when we allow ourselves to step out of the normal rhythm and routine of our lives. It seems to be there if we haven't answered it, if we've ignored it, if we've sent it to voicemail and said, you know, I'll, I'll get to you later. It has a way of always coming back. And I believe that that is so because it is part of our destiny. It's why we have incarnated in this time, in this form. And so to the extent that we are willing to answer that call, and to follow it, to that extent, our life will work much, much better. Doors will open. There'll be a sense of joy, a sense of purpose, a sense of fulfillment. So what are some of the things that we can learn from, from Rumi? There are four kind of general ideas I want to speak to and support them with words from Rumi. And the first idea is this, that you are needed. There is a place for you. You really are needed. Every single one of us is needed. There is a place for us. And that's true no matter how many birthday candles sit on our cake this year. We are needed, each and every one of us. There is a place for us. And what I know to be true is that this need to belong is a very real need for us. And it's a need that we need to pay attention to, and we need to find a way to fulfill. Some of the saddest people are those who don't believe that they're needed anymore. 
And I think one of the things that is true about our society that we could use some improvement around is the way we kind of shelve people as they get older. You know, that, okay, well, you served your purpose when you were young and vibrant and in the formal work field, but now, you know, we, we kind of put you out. And when we do that, we put out so much wisdom, so much talent, so much heart, and time, perhaps, as, as well. That no matter our age, no matter where we are, no matter how many detours our life has taken, we are needed and there is a place for us. Rumi says, everyone has been made for some particular work and the desire for that work has been put in every heart. Elsewhere he says, let yourself be silently drawn by the stronger pull of what you really love. I want to reread those. Everyone has been made for some particular work and the desire for that work has been put in every heart. Let yourself be silently drawn by the stronger pull of what you really love. I believe it requires that we pay attention. I believe that it, sometimes we are surprised into what it is that is our work to do in the world. Now I would take a little bit of, what's the word I'm looking for? I would choose a different word than Rumi has used here. I would use, not use the word particular work because I think work can imply in our mind something much more limited, can imply in our mind a particular form, you know, like a job description. I am here to do X work. Are you with me? And I think that what is really meant is that there is a purpose for which we are here, that there is an essence or a way of being that is natural to each soul. And that way of being, that essence, is very much who and what we are and what we are called to do and give expression to in our life experience. And it can take many different forms. So for example, I'm going to give you kind of a list of, of um, essential qualities, if you will, or essential natural um, abilities, if you will, that can take many forms. So some people are called into life experience. Their natural way of being is that of a healer. Others' natural way of being is that of a supporter or a helper. Others' natural way of being may be to be a teacher, teaching, mentoring. For others, it might be something like creating and innovating. For others, it, it might be to motivate, to inspire. And any one of those, any one of those ways of being could take many different forms. And one of the challenges that I think we have is we too prematurely try to answer the question of the form without getting clear on what is the natural way of being. For example, what do we often do with young people as they're maybe in the you know, high school, or certainly as they're getting ready to go into college, we ask questions like, what do you want to major in, right? And why do we ask that question? Because really that leads to, and what are you going to do in the world? 
which really is a way of saying, what job are you going to get in the world? And eventually we need to answer those questions, right? Each individual to be a responsible adult eventually needs to answer those questions. But I think we're asking them in the wrong order. If we're asking in kind of the order that I've laid out, then we get the answer is about the form. And what I'm saying is something comes before that, and I think Rumi is saying it too. Everyone has been made for something, and the desire for that something, that work, is put in their heart. Let yourself be silently drawn by the stronger pull of what you really love. So someone who has the natural essence of being a mentor or being a teacher could absolutely be a traditional teacher in a traditional school setting across any age bracket, right? But that same natural ability to teach could take an entirely different form. I, and I don't think that we have just necessarily one natural way of being. When we get whatever what our natural way of being is, and we can identify that to ourselves, then we're free to explore and experiment with, well, what are the many ways that form could take? Some of you have heard me share this story before. I would never, ever, ever have picked for myself ministry as my job, as my work. I would never have picked it, and certainly not if anybody told me what it was really all about. But I never would have picked it, never. That's a job that looks, for the most part, a certain way. And I couldn't connect to that. But what was absolutely true is there is a natural draw in me toward mentoring and toward teaching, toward inspiring, toward helping people to learn something. That would, be, that would add value to their life. I got hung up with the form and resisted the form for lots of reasons I won't take the time to go into here. But what's true is that all the things that live naturally inside of me get to play within this form called minister. Does that make sense? That's why I think it is so, it's true that we each are called into a kind of natural way of being, a natural way of serving, whether it's teaching or leading or mentoring or creating or helping. And when we know that what's true for us, then we're free to explore the forms that it can take. And if we find ourselves in a form that doesn't seem to make sense, we can step back from that form and ask of ourselves, maybe there's a different way I can show up within that form. And if not, then maybe I need to give myself a little bit of time to experiment and to find a different form that will allow me to answer the call of my heart. If you're struggling with trying to figure out what that is for you, that natural way of being, what came to me in as I was going over this yesterday was, who showed up in the playground? When you were little, how did you show up in the playground or in the sandbox? One of the other natural ways for me, and I don't intend to be this way, but it's just how I'm wired, is leader. My mother used to say I was the boss of the playground. 
Well, yeah, that's the negative spin on it. But there are certain aspects of that that really are at the heart of leadership. Now, it doesn't mean you can't, you, that you come as a full package. You've got to learn and, and, and fine tune and all of those things. But are you with me in what I'm getting at here? So maybe if you found yourself struggling with this, as you found, if you found yourself struggling with, well, who and how am I really meant to be? What is my call? Flip back as far back as you can. And how were you described? And even if it sounded negative, like you were the boss, well, what's the positive spin on that, okay? Because you may find the true, the true or a true kernel of truth for yourself. Second is learn to be quiet and still often. Learn to be quiet and still often. How can we really hear the call if we're noisy, distracted, outer-directed, and busy all of the time? I don't think that we can. I suppose every once in a while the call may come in really loud and wake us up. But I think more often than not, it's not that way, that it's more quiet, more subtle. Rumi wrote, the quieter you become, the more you are able to hear. The quieter you become, the more you are able to hear. And I suspect that he's not just talking about not speaking as a way of being quiet. I think he's talking about the kind of quiet that allows us to be reflective and to listen. To listen for what? To listen for that deep knowingness. To listen for that deep inner guidance. He also says, there is a voice that doesn't use words, listen. Isn't that beautiful? There is a voice that doesn't use words, listen. Have you had the experience of knowing that you knew something? Knowing that you knew what was right for you in a particular instant, but it didn't come with words? Raise your hand if you've had that experience. If it didn't come with words, how did you know? And I'm not, I, I believe you because I've had the same experience. It's what Rumi's saying. There is a voice that doesn't use words. There is a way of knowing within us that transcends and includes words. That sense felt, that resonance that we feel. We can feel it in our gut, in our body. The hair on our arm stands up. Our, our ways of knowing are so much more than simply knowing intellectually. I think it's almost like we're an antenna, if you will, for picking up, if we're patient and quiet, what it is that is really right for us. It's why I think every spiritual tradition has somewhere in its practice being quiet and still so that we can hear, so that we can listen. We can turn the volume down on everything out there and turn the volume up on that voice that doesn't use words. Third idea is knowing where to begin to look. Knowing where to begin to look. 
I think I shared this in the first lesson on Rumi a few weeks ago, maybe, that we tend to look in all the wrong places for the things that really matter in life, like that old country and Western song, looking for love in all the wrong places. I think there's a tendency to look for that which um, is most important to us in the wrong places or in less fruitful places, less productive places. In metaphysics, we often say you must go within or suffer the consequences and go without. Go within or go without. Rumi asks, and you, when will you begin that long journey into yourself? Some of us maybe think that that would be scary, but it really isn't. It really isn't. When will you begin that long journey into yourself? He goes on, maybe you are searching among the branches for what only appears in the roots. There's great wisdom in that. Maybe you are searching among the branches at the outer levels for what only can be found in the roots. I remember a similar teaching of Henry David Thoreau, and I, I don't have a committed to memory, but it's the idea that why are there so many hacking at the branches but not dealing with the roots? And I think he was writing specifically about social issues and problems, that we tend to have a surface approach when what we really need to do is dig deeper. How many of you were ever a child and had the job of pulling weeds in the garden? Anybody ever have that job? All right, confession time. I won't tell mom or dad. My mom's watching. I had that job every once in a while as a kid, and I didn't like it. And so I would take the lazy approach sometimes and figured, well, if you can't see it, I'll just pull the tops off. Much easier than, right? Anybody else do that? Or am I the only person that ever, okay, thank you, David. I'm not all alone, right? How well did that work, right? It didn't work. They just come back stronger, right? They really do. I mean, nature is set up to, to turn any adversity into, if it doesn't kill you, make it stronger, not just as people, but even as weeds, right? And so getting at the root takes a little more time and effort. It takes digging physically or, or metaphorically. Getting at the root, getting at the root. Maybe you are searching among the branches for what only appears at the root. And so asking ourselves and, and getting clear with, well, what is, what is it that I'm seeking, really? Rumi says, what you seek is seeking you. Hold that for a moment. What you seek is seeking you. What you seek is seeking you. That sounds super metaphysical to me. I know that Ernest Holmes talked about ideas like that, founder of Science of Mind. I know that the Fillmore's, Charles and Myrtle, the founders of Unity, talked about that idea as well. They did, didn't phrase it quite as poetically, what you seek is seeking you. But they certainly talked about the idea that whatever it is that you are most needing, what your soul is most wanting, the universe is trying to reciprocate and bring that to you. Sometimes when I talk to people who are looking for work, and saying, you know, I, I'm just trying to find that, that perfect right job for me, that perfect right employment for me. 
One of the, th the things I suggest is, can you also hold at the same time that you are focusing on, you are looking for that, for you, that there is a company or an organization that is looking for you with the same earnestness that you are looking for it. That's when you know there's this beautiful fit, right? Same thing with relationships. If we can hold in our minds that the person or the partner, if we're single and we're wanting not to be, that the person or partner that I am seeking, the kind of relationship I'm seeking, is also seeking me. That helps us remain, I think, in a very healthy and forward-thinking and optimistic thinking point of view. So know where to begin to look. And as it always seems to be in metaphysics, it comes right back to inside first. And then the last piece that I will pull from on this idea of answering the call, not letting it go to, to voicemail, is this, to move forward to move forward where you feel energy and an opening. Move forward where you feel energy and an opening. You might not see or sense or, or feel the entire path before you, but if there is an opening, move toward that. Move toward that. Rumi writes, there is a candle in your heart ready to be kindled there is a void in your soul ready to be filled. You feel it, don't you? Respond to every call that excites your spirit. Respond to every call that excites your spirit. So as you are playing in this field of looking at your life and playing in this field of what is my call and how do I live that out, be willing not to have the full answer come in one fell swoop. Be willing to have it come, if it's going to, in bits and pieces, but respond to whatever bit or piece comes to you. To move where there is an opening, to move where you sense there is some opportunity or some flow of, of spirit. It's like, is there a crack in the window? Does there seem to be a door opening? Does there seem to be some movement or some synchronicity here? What if I were to flow with that? What if I were to flow around the obstacle that seems to be in my path? Have you ever given yourself the luxury of watching water running through a small creek? I love to do that. When we go away to the mountains, one of the things I like to do is to go to a place in Peterson Track at June Lake, and there's just creeks that run through the hills coming off the eastern Sierras. And our family and I nicknamed one of them Muddy Creek because half the time it's muddy. And I love to just go there. It's very small. Nobody really knows where it is. And not to just... Listen, because I love the sound of the running water, but also to watch. And in particular, to watch if there's a leaf or, or a pine needle that has fallen into the creek. And just to watch it meander and take its path of least resistance. And it always gets to where it needs to go, but sometimes it has to meander a bit. And to me, that's very much like answering the call of our heart, 
leaning into and stepping into where there seems to be an opening, where there seems to be an opportunity. And maybe this is second nature for a lot of you, but I know for me it took quite a bit of inner work and growing to get to the place where it was good enough to just step into the opening before me without having to know everything that was going to come after that. Anybody else like that? I think, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about, you don't, you can take the step before you, you don't have to see the whole staircase. Well, it took me a lot of inner work to get to the place where I could say, okay, I don't have to see the whole staircase, but could I at least see the first two or three steps, right? There's just a little bit of that maybe for you, for you as well. But what I do know is that oftentimes you don't get to see even the second or third step if you're not paying attention to the first step that seems to be opening. So I want to circle back to what I began with, and that is that there is a divine purpose for every single one of us, that we are every single one of us, no matter our age, no matter our standing in life, no matter whether we've come through a heck of a lot of trauma growing up, no matter what, no matter what the story is, I guess is what I'm saying, each and every one of us is needed, each and every one of us has value, and each and every one of us has some unique ways of being and giving. The clearer you get on that, and the more you build that into your life, the happier your life will be, the healthier you will be, and I believe the bigger difference you will make in inspiring others as well. Namaste. Namaste. 